Okay, so we're going to look at Jephthah. All right, Jephthah and some more minor judges. Some other judges who are mentioned. We just are hearing about them briefly. We're going to focus on chapter 10 through chapter 12. Now, I'm going to start off our lesson today with a question for you. So far, we have looked at Gideon. We've looked at Barak and Deborah. We have looked at so many different judges. Can I ask you, were these folks perfect people? Perfect men? Where they would be, would be like righteous guys that you would look up to if they attended the church. Would you say that that's who they were? No, no. How many of you agree with Bruce? How many of you agree today with Bruce? Yes, they're not perfect. Okay. I think it's amazing because when you go over to Hebrews chapter 11, the great faith chapter, he says in verse 32, he says this, For what more shall I say? For time would fail, fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, and Samson, and Jephthah, who we're going to look at today, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, Turned to flight, the armies of aliens, women received up their dead, raised again. That is an amazing testimony. These imperfect people were commended for their what? Their faith. Now, what's the lesson in that? Because, I mean, we're going through judges. Holy cow, you're going to see it today, Okay. What's the lesson in that? See, too often times we look and say, God looks at what I'm doing. When God actually looks at what? Your heart and your faith, your trust in him. Now, are you a screw-up? Yeah. <laughs> Don't call me that, George. Yeah, we're screw-ups. We fail. We're rotten. But God what? Yeah, he forgives us through Jesus because of our trust and faith in him. Do you, do you understand? This is what I want you to see. There is nothing about you that makes you acceptable to God. And God's not shocked by you. He already knew about you. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? He already knew about you. So let's talk today. We're going to talk about Jephthah. He's quite an interesting guy. And again, as we go through this, we're going to see that the cycle continues. In fact, that's what we're going to see in the first part. We're looking at chapter 10, verses, chapter 10, verse 6 through 16, basically tells you that the cycle of, continues. What kind of cycle? Well, you know, they're following the Lord. One generation dies. The next generation raises up. Guess what they do? They go chasing after the foreign gods. God then raises up an oppressor. The oppressor comes. They cry out to the Lord. Oh, God, save us. Forgive us. Puts away their foreign gods. God raises up a deliverer. That guy judges them for a while until what? Till he dies. Guess what they do again? 
go off chasing after the foreign gods. That's the cycle. That's what we're going to see here. We're not going to read these passages, but we're going to just talk about them in general. So here's the first thing I want you to notice. Once again, Israel served the Canaanite gods. Okay, so when you read the passage, the Canaanite gods in particular are Baal, which is the rain god, and Asheroth which is a sea god, sea goddess, but is the goddess of fertility. Okay, and she's represented by this hideous pole. I showed you a picture of one of those a few weeks back. And so Israel served the Canaanite gods as well as the gods of the surrounding nations. So this is the first time you see this time where they're actually not just worshiping the Canaanite gods, they're going after the gods of the Syrians and all these other gods of all these nations that are around them. You'll see all of these gods that are mentioned there. Chemosh, Moloch. And when you talk about worshiping those gods, with that comes the practices of worshiping those gods. Child sacrifice. Sending your firstborn into the fiery arms of one of these idols. It's pretty sick. All of it to gain favor with the gods so you could have better crops, more kids, more wealth. Yeah, well, People will sell themselves to crazy things to have more money and a better life, right? Isn't that true? Yeah, it's true. So, in his anger... God gave Israel over to oppression by, and it's list, two people are listed here, the Ammonites. Now, we're, we're familiar with the Ammonites. These are the children of Ammon, who are was the son of Lot. So these are relatives, distant relatives of Israel. And the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were along the coast. I'll help you figure it out today, folks, in the area of Gaza. You know where Gaza is today, right? Okay. So, Gaza, these are the sea peoples of the Philistines, and these are their oppressors. Now, in particular, chapter 10 is going to focus on the oppression of Israel by one particular people, although it mentions two here, which is Ammon. So, the oppression of the Ammonites lasted 18 years. That's a long time of oppression. And it kind of has to be that way, doesn't it? Because if you're punishing somebody, sometimes the heat has to be on for a while before finally come, people come to their senses, right? And the scripture, of course, with the cycle says that they do. So Israel cried out in repentance and begged the Lord for deliverance. So finally they, whoa, wait a minute, oh, God, we're sorry. Can you deliver us? Deliver us, Lord. Now, it's interesting. This is the second time in the book of Judges when during this cycle that God makes the same response. Okay? Here's the same response. The Lord recalled his past help. So he recalled everything from taking him up out of Egypt to bringing them through the wilderness and taking them into, into the promised land and helping them and tells them to seek their deliverance from the foreign gods. 
Isn't that ironic? God says, you know what? I did all of this for you folks. I gave you this. I did all this. You need help? Ask those wooden idols for help. Tell the pole to help you. You know what I'm saying? Tell, tell that God, Chamosh. I mean, seriously, God's not a pushover here, is he? He's pointing out, I mean, hey, you wanted to worship those guys. This is what happens. You have them help you. Well, the answer is, is they can't help them, right? Because they're nothing. They're, they're not God. They can't do anything. So Israel put away their foreign gods and served God only. Now, this is the interesting thing. If you didn't read the passage, it wouldn't occur to you that Israel cries out to the Lord and begs them for deliverance, but they're like, okay, well, they're, they're asking for help. Yeah, but this verse tells you that they hadn't even put away their foreign gods when they asked for help. They still have the foreign gods and they're still doing whatever. They're crying out to God to help, but they still got their God. God says, well, let your foreign gods help you. Then they realize those gods can't help us. Then they put them away. Isn't that some, sometimes how we operate? We operate with one foot in the world, doing whatever we want to do, but then, God, we need you to help us in this crisis. You know? This crisis, the Lord would probably say to us today, hey, you got there on your own brain power, let your own brain power help you out. You didn't need me, why do you need me now? Why do you need me now? So here we come and we're going to be introduced to a guy by the name of Jephthah. He is an, an amazing man. A man with a, with a life of pain. Isn't that somehow what God does? God will often use... Here's what I want you to understand. God often uses people who have experienced pain in their life. Severe pain. This man has experienced severe pain. Okay? Jephthah. So, faced with the Ammonites preparing to attack them, the leaders of Gilead sought a leader. Now, let's remind ourselves where Gilead is. Remember, two and a half tribes stayed east of the Jordan in the land that they captured from the Amorites. Two and a half tribes stayed in that area, while the other nine and a half tribes took over the main part of what we know today as Israel. Okay? So it's still Israel, but it's east of the Jordan. So Gilead is east of the Jordan in that area. And the Ammonites were preparing for a battle. So they're faced with the fact that the Ammonites are going to come through and wipe them out again. I mean, this is the cycle in 18 years. Now, it goes on and refers to a guy by the name of Jephthah, who is from this area. Okay? Jephthah was the illegitimate, was a illegitimate son who was driven out by his brothers. It'll tell you that Jephthah was the product of a fella when he got with a whore, a harlot. And they had an illegitimate son named Jephthah. Now the problem is, in Israel, that illegitimate son has no right to an inheritance. Only the legitimate sons of whoever Jephthah's dad was would be able to claim any kind of inheritance in his father's possession. 
So what the legitimate sons do is they don't like Jephthah. They don't want him to be their brother. They, don't, they run him off. And the implication is, is they run him off with the help of everybody else in the community. Do you understand? They run him off with every, with the help of everyone else in the community. Now let's stop for a moment. We live in a different time now, but some of you maybe can remember long, long time ago, that's the way our communities were. Illegitimate children were basically what? Ostracized. It wasn't just by families, but by the community. Did, did you understand what I'm saying? And that's the kind of thing that's going. We're like, wow, that's barbaric. We're, you know, we live in the 21st century, but I'm telling you, even up until 40, 50 years ago in the 20th century, that's the way it was. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was a shame to bear an Ill illegitimate child. That illegitimate child, illegitimate child would have been stigmatized. That's the way it was even in our culture 50 years ago or more. And so that's what's going on here. He is driven out by his brothers, okay? Driven out by his brothers. So he gathers an army to himself. So somehow it's, it refers to them as worthless people. Basically, they're mercenaries. He gathers to himself an army and was a raider. So he spent his time, because he has no inheritance, so he's not a farmer. He's got to do something, so what does he do? He raids. Who's he raid? Typically, they raided everybody. It's kind of like a Robin Hood kind of guy. Except he's stealing from everybody. He's got an army. Did you understand what I'm saying? The Jewish Robin Hood. No, I'm just kidding, okay? All right, but remember now, the Ammonites are getting ready to attack, and the leaders of Gilead are looking for somebody to lead them. We need a military leader. So the leaders of Gilead sent men to bring Jephthah back as their military leader. They Somehow, I could see where they're having, having a meeting. You know how committee meetings are. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? And one guy probably says, well, you know, I know a guy. He's actually from here. And he can do it. Who, who are you talking about? Jephthah. Oh, no, we're not going Hey, he's got an army. And he knows how to do this. Do you know how to do this? You're a farmer. This is a military man. You could see where they're having, you could, you could almost see where they're having the discussion. And they decide, we better get him because if we don't, we're in trouble. So they send leaders to bring back Jephthah. Now Jephthah, I'll be honest with you, when you read this passage, he's a pretty shrewd guy. He's pretty smart. Okay? When you read this passage, he's pretty sharp. What do you mean by that, George? Well, Jephthah pointed out the betrayal in the past and stated that they must make him their judge. Jephthah's like, whoa, hold, hold on, you want me to come and do what? Aren't you the guys who shipped me out on a rail? You didn't want anything to do with me back then? And now, you, what's changed? Well, what's changed now is <laughs> they're scared for their lives. And so Jephthah says, if I do this, make me the leader, the judge. Do you understand what I'm saying? Make me the judge. And this has to be a public thing, not just some 
in a committee meeting, oh, we agree to this and then deny it later. This has to be, and guess where they go? They go to Mizpah. Remember, Mizpah, if you know, is a significant place. That's where all Israel gathers for sacred meetings to discuss things. So in Mizpah, they gathered and proclaimed Jephthah, the judge of their area, the leader. He's a pretty shrewd guy, isn't he? Because can you see what would happen if he just said, okay, I'll help you, and he comes and wipes him out? Then they would be like, get out of here. We don't need you. We don't want you to be a part of us anymore. He's pretty shrewd. So here's what they do. The leaders of Gilead agreed and affirmed their decision before the Lord. Okay, so this is a significant thing. So Jephthah, so his first, what is he going to do? He doesn't attack the Ammonites. He decides to use diplomacy. And so this is a major section of this passage. It's going to be from chapter 11, verse 12 through chapter 28. And I'm, not, I'm just going to give you one line to think about here. Jephthah attempts diplomacy with Ammon by recalling the history of the Lord's actions. So Jephthah sends some messengers and says to Ammon, the king of Ammon, hey, well, what's going on here? How can we come to some sort of agreement and some sort of pact here and not get it? He's trying to get him not to have a war. What can we do? And and Ammon makes this crazy claim, well, when you came from Egypt, you took our land. The land that you are in east of the Jordan is our land. You took it from us. So Jephthah reminds him, no, no, because remember, when we went through, Moses was told to what? Leave Edom, Ammon, and Moab alone. Right? Well, remember? Because they were what? Relatives. They had been given that possession by the Lord. Leave them alone. Who did they take the land that they're in east of the Jordan from? The Amorites. Og, Shion. Okay? So, what Jephthah does is he tells him, wait a minute, this land we didn't take from you. We took it from the Amorites. God gave it to us from the Amorites. So they have this diplomatic thing going on where he's trying to point out reason with them. Guys, this isn't your land. This is the land the Lord gave us. We took it from the Amorites. You're Ammonites. That ain't the deal. But guess what happens? The diplomacy fails because Ammon is thinking, I'm just going to take what I want. Who cares what God did for you? Okay? Who cares what God did for you? So now, with the diplomacy failing, okay, we see the empowerment. What do you mean by the empowerment? Well, it's, it's a pretty significant verse. I will read these verses to you. Look with me at chapter 11, verse 29 through 31. Now, these are significant, okay? Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah, and he passed through Gilead and Manasseh, and passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from Mizpah of Gilead he advanced toward the people of Ammon. And he made a vow to the Lord and said, If you will indeed deliver the people of Ammon into my hands, then it will be that whatever comes out of the doors of my house to meet me, when I return in peace from the people of Ammon, shall surely be the Lord's, and I will offer it up as a burnt offering. Okay. Two things. We see the empowerment here. What do you mean? 
Well, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jephthah. Okay, remember I told you, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord does not indwell the believers there. However, he comes upon them at certain times to perform certain tasks. And so again, here is the Spirit of the Lord coming upon this judge to what? Bring deliverance. And he made a rash vow if victory was achieved. This is a rash vow. You're saying, what is he thinking? Well, let me explain to you their culture a little bit so that you understand. All right, so we think in terms of farmers here. Okay, so you have your farmhouse, and that's where the farmers live. But where do you keep your pigs? Well, first of all, they wouldn't have pigs, would they? Okay, where do you keep your sheep, your goats? Where would you keep them if you had a farm? In a barn, right? That's not true there. They didn't build barns, necessarily. They would be out in the field, but sometimes the animals would be right with you. They would be in your home. Now, have you ever had animals in your home and you open up the door? We know dogs, right? You ever open the door and, the, and you open the door for a neighbor coming, coming to visit? You open the door and what's the first thing that runs out of the house? Your dog, right? Well, guess what runs out of these houses? Sheep and goats. So guess what he's thinking? First animal that comes out of there, I'm sacrificing to you, Lord. It's my vow. But he said, he didn't say animal. He said, the first thing that comes out of my house. Wow. We don't remember that, okay? Because it will have bearing later on. So the Lord gave Israel victory over the Ammonites with a great slaughter. Unbelievable. God gave them the victory. And it says, with a huge slaughter, slaughtered the Ammonites, sent them packing. You can guess they were licking their wounds for a while and left them alone, okay? Now, here's where that vow comes to, to, to play, okay? When Jephthah returned home, his only daughter was the first to come out to him. Jephthah only had one child. It says very clearly, he had no sons, he only had one daughter. When he came home, the first thing that came out to greet him wasn't an animal, folks. It was his own daughter. Now, he's a man of principle, and... It tells you right in the passage, he is grieved. That would make you sick, right? Okay, he's sickened. And, and she's like, Dad, what's going on? You come back for victory? And he explains to her that I made this vow to the Lord that whatever came out of my house, I would sacrifice to the Lord. And then it says, as a burnt offering. Now, does anybody understand what a burnt offering is? Anybody know? Anybody have a clue? Well, we talked about burnt offerings before. You would take a cow to the temple, a bull, and it would be cut up in pieces and put on the altar, and then what? Offered as a burnt 
offering. Now, do you understand what a burnt offering is? What does burnt mean? Burnt. Do you know what I'm saying? If you leave the chicken on the grill too long, it what, folks? It burns, right? You got a bad toaster like we had one the other day, and you put a bagel in there, and you start smelling something charcoaling. That's burnt, okay? That's what we're talking about here. That's pretty unbelievable, right? Okay. So Jephthah told his daughter of his vow and gave her two months to mourn with her friends. Here's what she said. Dad, give me two months to get with my friends, which would be other maidens, to mourn. Then you can fulfill your vow. And he gave it to her. And after the two months, it just simply says he fulfilled his vow. Now, there are two views concerning this. Okay? Two views. First view is he sacrificed his daughter. Okay? You say, holy cow, how is that possible? This is the period of the judges where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Okay? The other view is this, that she remained a virgin, because of the way the text reads, she mourned her virginity. That she remained, basically he sacrificed his daughter, meaning giving his daughter in marriage to someone, and that she remained a virgin for the rest of her life. Because it does talk about, in the Old Testament law, about you sacrificing your firstborn to the Lord. Now, sacrificing your firstborn to the Lord, though, in the Old Testament law, was different than offering them to a god like Moloch. It meant dedicating their life to the Lord that that child would be given to serve the Lord forever. And in this instance, that meant she would never be married. That's the second view. Now, why am I telling you that? Because I'm not going to tell you what I think. I'm going to have you wrestle with it. Think about the scripture. Think about it. Even think about the time period. It's not a good thing. Now, why did I bring that up? Remember what I told you earlier when we started out this lesson? He's later referred to in the great chapter of faith. Would you say this was a screw-up? Yeah, Bruce said, yeah. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? We make big messes, don't we? Would you say this is a big mess? Yeah, yeah, it is. Okay? Yeah, it is. Now, it doesn't... It doesn't. So after two months, Jephthah fulfilled his vow to the Lord. Now, it doesn't end there. This is what's interesting. When you come to chapter 12, the first six verses, it's like, are you kidding me? Ephraim. Now, you remember who Ephraim is? Okay? Ephraim is one of the tribes right across the, the river from Gilead. Ephraim attacked Jephthah because they claimed that they were not called to the battle. Isn't that crazy? You didn't call us to take part in this victory. We're attacking you. People have lost their minds during this time period, huh? I mean, it seems that way, doesn't it? And that's where you have the interesting story. Maybe you know this from Sunday school. It's the interesting story where Gilead defeated Ephraim and slaughtered 42,000 of their men. Now here's what they did. 
There was a ford crossing the river, and Ephraim was on the run, and so they stationed men at the ford, and when they would come, I mean, they're Jews. How are you going to tell the difference between them? Here's how they told the difference between them. They had them say a word. And because they have a different accent over in Ephraim versus the accent in Gilead, they could tell who was from the area and who wasn't. Do you understand what I'm saying? And those who weren't, they killed. Isn't that interesting? You've, how many of you have heard that story? I have, I remember hearing that story in Sunday school. Only Bruce and I went there. We must have used the same curriculum that year, okay? That, that this is what I'm trying to tell you. It's, it's, it's in the scriptures. Isn't it interesting? It's kind of like, you know, we're at the ford of the river here, Susquehanna. Are you from here? And then you wait to hear if they say yuns. If they say y'all, they're dead. Rhonda, you'd be in trouble. I would too. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Do you, do you know what I'm saying? Because you could tell real quick whether or not they were from here. You know? Now, Jephthah judged Israel for six years and died. Now, this is the interesting thing. He only was a judge for six years. Six years. Now let's talk real quick about the other judges. Okay, so we're going to talk about three other guys real quick. Ebzan, Elon, and Ebdon. Okay, so after Jephthah, Ebzan was raised up to judge Israel for seven years. Okay, so here's another judge. We don't know too much about him. We just know that he was raised up. He judged for seven years. Okay, seven years. Ebzon is noted as having, this guy must have had a lot of wives. Holy cow, because it can't be from the same woman. 30 sons and 30 daughters. So he had a lot of legitimate wives, okay? Because he had 30 sons and 30 daughters. Now, it's going to make an interesting point here. You're probably wondering, why is it telling us this? Well, I'm going to explain it to you here in a moment. He was able to find wives for his 30 sons. Why would he tell us that? Because it's significant. He was such a prominent person, he was able to find a daughter for each of his sons. Now, what does that mean? That takes, folks, money. Why? Because in cultures like the Israelite culture, you had to pay a dowry you had to negotiate with the family of the girl to give that girl up to marry into your clan. There's a lot of cultures that are like that today. Do you understand? A lot of cultures that are like that today. And, and uh, it's like I remember having, I, when I was in Kenya years ago, you know, we talk, you see single guys, and we say, why are you still single? Don't have enough cows. What? I'm like, I'm an American. What? Well, I I like this girl, but her dad wants four cows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Or goats. So, I mean, this is a significant thing that tells you about his prominence, okay? So he had 30 sons, 30 daughters, and what? He found 30 women for his 30 daughters, it refers to them as daughters for his sons. 
So after Ebzan, Elon was raised up to judge Israel for 10 years. He was raised up to judge Israel for 10 years, Elon. Okay? I think this is all we know about him. And then after Elon, Ebdon was raised up to judge Israel for eight years. If you're looking for names that you want to pass on to your children, for names of grandchildren and stuff, I would write some of these down. Elon, Ebdon, Ebzan, these are all great names, aren't they? Okay? Now, Ebdon had 40 sons and 30 grandsons, and they rode on 70 donkeys. What does that tell you about this guy? Yeah, he. everybody had a Cadillac. Did you know what I'm saying? Everybody was riding in a Cadillac. Okay. 